Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter one five three of the Corona Diaries. Three. Good lord. Isn't it amazing? Before we start, before we start, we need a, a quick close hanger update. Um, Vibes' is, old drawers are still there, but something's been added. Yeah, they're, they're, What's the pink thing? They're another pair of his drawers. So there's essentially, to, right. that's, just the, um, that's just the designer waist uh, band of another pair of Vibes' drawers, which I dare say would be very embarrassed about right. me. Displaying, but it's not like there's a live. It's not like it's live video, so we're all right. We're not streaming, are we? Twenty four seven. No, no. And you, you there's, there's. I'm, I'm not going to be gross. I'm just going to say. Uh, I'm not going to say any of the things mm. that, that are now, going through my mind. It's it's a lifetime first. Right. Okay. Well. Let's let's move on to mm. to your nasal challenges. What's wrong with your oh, nose? She's had me gardening. Um, it's been a very interesting day today because it's I don't know about eleven o'clock this morning. A truck pulled up full of rocks and stones and dumped them in the garden because uh, her ladyship would like a kind of beach vibe to the borders. Um, she doesn't want um, soil. She wants, you know, she wants it to look like Brighton Beach. So we've been, I've been helping her with her vision and uh, we've been out and spent a small fortune on, on grass, on, on um, what do they call them, pampas grasses. And just, you know, the general kind of shit that, you walk amongst in if you're on the dunes in Norfolk or, or wherever you are. Um, and so we're creating a sort of pampas grass and beachy sort of vibe in the garden. And it will look good when it's finished, but my God, it's back-breaking work, Anthony. And at the moment, it's mm. it's quite chilly here in Denmark, and so you're all right in the sun, but if the sun goes in, it's mighty chilly, and it's making my nose run. And of course, I keep wiping my nose on my gardening gloves, and they're quite abrasive. So uh, I'm looking a bit like Rudolph the reindeer at the moment. I've got a sore nose and an achy back from lifting the rocks. I mean, I mean, have you, have you, they give you shit like that to do in prison, don't they? Um, they do. <laughs> And I'm doing it. I was going to say I'm doing it for nothing. I'm not. It's costing me a fortune. So, anyway, it's all lovely. And um, frankly, talking to you is uh, a bit of time off. So, um, a bit of a respite from mm. the the cold and the the rock moving. Oh, and I've got gin. So, a couple of things. Oh, you got gin. I oh, that's I good. A couple of things that come from that. Then. I mean, I suppose the first one is, would it not be less work and cheaper if she wants a Brighton Beach kind of vibe just to move to Brighton? At this point, probably not cheaper. And, um, right. you know, Brighton's not cheap, is it? And and uh, it's not in Denmark either. So that wouldn't that wouldn't right. do. She, she needs a piece of home turf, you see. Okay. She pines. She pines for the, um, the soft D. That's what she pines for. Do you know about the soft D? So, okay, so then 
No, I was coming on to soft. I, I've got another thing to say, but I'll come back to that. We'll do soft D first. Talk to me about soft D. Well, the Danes have a thing. It's like a, a, a sound. And it's a D, and they pronounce not all of their Ds. They, they, they have a hard D that comes along and trips you up now and again. But they do have this D that goes, um, which makes the words sound like they haven't got a beginning and an end a lot of the time. You know, they kind of go, and you think, well, what happened then? Was that a sentence or what happened? Um, and if there's a D in it, it's pronounced like, uh, like uh, you know how we have the for uh, T-H-E, we have the, don't we? But the Danes have a it's like a yeah. soft, softer version of the, so it's like a the, where the tongue almost says the, but never quite gets to the teeth. It just kind of goes, the. and that's the soft D. So whenever there's a a D in something, like um, like. Uh, like red, the colour red is pronounced, is, is spelt rod, R-O-D, and it's pronounced rrrr, rrrr, with this on the end. And that's the soft D. And that's what she'd miss if she moved to Brighton, I think. Right. Because that just sounds like you being a little incapacitated. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, to me, that's the that's the noise that a seizure makes. Well, it is. What's the word? It takes us Brits a little time to get used to it. I'll tell you, because uh, I've been trying for a decade and I'm still not quite there. Right. But I'm I'm like, like there's a there's a city that us Brits would call Odense in Denmark, but it's not Odense. It's Odense. So, so the D is the uh, thing. The O is more of an uh, and the ens is a bit more unser. So it's urdenser, and that's that's a place. Uh, whereas you know, as, as my old friend Dicky Beaumont, God rest his soul, used to say, "Oh yes, I've been driving a truck. I've been to Odens." You know, um, but it's not Odens; it's Ernser. That's. I it. can see how Dickie would have struggled with that. That's not working for Dickie's accent, is it? <laughs> well, you know, I've been to Odens. You know, I've, I like the beer there. Yeah, yeah. Dickie was uh, one of those characters that used to float through the village. Um, he was about, I don't know, he was in his mid-70s, I think, and he, rumour had it, he once plugged Jimi Hendrix in because he, he was an old roadie and he'd worked for the Hollies for years and years and years and years and to this day I still get a Christmas card from the Hollies which is something that um, Dickie engineered somehow. So every Christmas I, we get a card <laughs> from the Hollies. <laughs> None of whom I've ever met. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, and Dickie used to get say, oh, you know, all the time. You know. Um, anyway, he was he was found on the floor of his little house in, in Mixbury um, about six months ago. And I think he just had a massive heart attack and fallen over. So that was the end of him, bless him. Oh. Anyway... He couldn't pronounce Erdense. I mean Erdense. Sorry, I had to have three goes at that. I love, I love, love, love the fact that you have just thrown into conversation that we didn't know after. And let's be honest, there's there's 200 hours of this <laughs> logged at the moment. Mm. If you count the extras, there's about 200 hours, probably more of this logged, right? And for the first time, you have said, oh, yeah, I get a Christmas card every year from the Hollies. <laughs> I do. <laughs> every time, you know, I feel that my work here is done, you just chuck in a little festive nugget like that, don't you? There you go, an FN. 
NFN. <laughs> I'm actually slightly lost for words at that. Well, I'm surprised that's that's knocked you so sideways. Actually, I, I think it's I think it's brilliant. It's yeah. a bit like somebody turning around and going, "Oh yeah, yeah." Every, you know, I I always get sent some rhubarb from Shwadi Wadi. <laughs> they do it every year about rhubarb time. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that could happen in my village, to be honest. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that would be anything from Shiwadi Wadi would be really, really impressive. It would. Are they still gigging around? Oh, I do hope so. They're bound to be in some form of other, aren't they? Even if it's oh. just, you know, the, the most recent bass player who's now got the name. But let's... Um, Let's look into that. Let's look into yeah. whether or not Shawadi Wadi is still gigging around. I'll we'll probably get a lot of indignant email now. Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't know if it, I don't know if it can be indignant with regard to Shawadi Wadi. I think it's you've just got to mm. got to embrace it, haven't you? Yeah. Was that that band so. that had Under the Moon of Love? That's the one. Oh yeah, there was hundreds of them. So one of them's about to be still going. They actually, do you know what? Here's the thing, because they all wore those crepe suits, didn't they? Those kind of rocker suits, and they were all in a different colour. Yeah. I reckon you could lay Shiwadi Wadi down in a circle and take a photo for above and get a Be Hard On Yourself album cover. Oh, yeah. yeah good point. Perhaps um, Linda could crochet as a Shiwadi Wadi laid out. That'd be hysterical. Lay, laid out? <laughs> <laughs> that would be... That would be, that, that would be my favourite thing ever. Shawadi Wadi laid out in a circle to form the... Yeah, a brothel creep is quite a tricky thing to crochet, though, I, I reckon. But if anyone's up to it, Linda is. Linda's up to it. Yeah. Is, is there a crochet pattern for a brothel creeper? <laughs> There's an episode title. <laughs> how, how have we even got there? I don't know. If you've not noticed already, folks, it's a bit of a holiday edition, this one. <laughs> like all the others. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this time, you're really on holiday. I am on holiday, yes. I am, in um, theory, which means working like a like a like like some kind of prisoner, like some southern yeah. states, Alabama prison authority labourer. Yes, I'm on holiday. Does she have you in a jumpsuit, an orange jumpsuit, out in the garden? It makes me easier to get back if I wander off. So then, and you know I'm going to go there, by the way. You know I'm going to get there. Send out a couple couple of bloodhounds to the nearest bar. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, pampas grass, yes. Yes. The road okay, so you know where I'm going now, don't you? Yeah. Argentina, probably. No, no. no. So pampas grass was is the that's that's that was traditionally what you would grow in your front garden or around your doorway if you were into swinging. Oh, was it now? Oh, there was a lot of it in Donning. I mean pampas grass. That was probably a lot of swinging. Yeah, well, you can't as well. see it wafting, wafting, <laughs> wafting about outside people's bungalows, wouldn't you? The pampas grass, I mean. Of course. There's a reason why. Um, well, I didn't know that. You, you didn't see, know that? You see, I, I've learned something as yeah. well. So it begs the question, I mean, obviously you, you're saying you don't know about it. What, but obviously, it's it's saying something about the pair of you. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, I don't know if Lynetta knows about the implications of of pampas grass. I'll ask her that when she gets back from Neto. Right, Darling. <laughs> do we know? Do we know what swinging is in in Danish? Does it have one of those funny D's in it? It probably does. Probably has a soft D. About it, swinging, swinging with a soft D. Yes. (laughs) 
Right. We're back now. We're centred. We're back. And we're back. But we never left. But we never left. Right. Okay. So, a bit of a holiday episode. The one thing I was going to say to you was... um, we need to gear ourselves up. We need to gird our loins in yeah, preparation right. for starting to talk about fear. Fear. Hmm. Yes. Because the last album we really started to talk about was Sounds That Can't Be Made. Yes. You've vanished. Oh. Oh. Oh, hello. Oh, oh, hello. Oh, he's gone. Anthony's gone, everybody. What should I do? Should I just keep whispering? (laughs) Or should I hang up? And shall we have another go? Seems a shame, really. Oh, the American voice has said, Recording stopped, which means he's probably pressed a button at his end. The next day. Oh, shit. We haven't done that for a while, though. No, no, no. Maybe we're getting better at it without realising. Without realising. So we don't know what you've heard up until this point. Mm. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what you actually get out of the first part of the recording. But we're back and it's... It's Wednesday, isn't it now? Are you going to do and we're back? But we're back and it's Wednesday. It just doesn't have the I could same do. ring. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But we're back and, <laughs> and it's, it's Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> it isn't. It's fucking Thursday. Isn't no, it? it's not. Is it Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> it's Wednesday on my computer. I'm a day adrift. No right. wonder I'm stressed out about the stones. Indeed. Though you no. have you have moved. Vibes pants have gone. <laughs> I'm not talking about making Keith either. I'm talking about actual stones. Actual stones. Um, yeah, but we've put them in the wash. I thought they'd aired a bit, but it was time to do take further action. Right, the, I didn't uh, realise the they were unclean when they went on the hangers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found I them just... lying about, you know. Right, oh dear. Always dodgy with a teenager. Mm. Always dodgy. Yes. Mm. We'll not mention. Um, we'll we'll go no further. Yes. Let's leave that let, leave that one alone. Shall we? Shall we go to a bit of diary? Because we're going to try and get fit two diary sections in, aren't we? This week. So should we try and go, go to a bit of diary? Yes. Yes. I'm going to go to the whole of Caracas. The whole of Caracas. And 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 all that went with it. I had a very eventful two or three days. On right. both sides of the world. Well, what we'll do, we'll have the first bit, we'll have the first couple of days, then we'll have a little five-minute regroup, and mm. then we're going to close the episode off with the second bit. That's, okay. the, that's the plan. All and right. I haven't got a clue how long this episode's going to be. I've lost all track of where we are. That's lovely. Lovely, right. Well, we're on holiday. We're on holiday. Right, do you want to set your alarm then for three o'clock in the morning? Yes. Well, two o'clock in the morning, so I can get up at... Whenever I got up and leave it whenever I left. Tuesday, 10th of April. Home, Caracas. Out at 3am. My plan to leave home without waking up didn't work out, and I seemed strangely alert during the journey, chatting with the driver. I felt a bit guilty for getting him up at this time of night. The M40 was deserted and took on the appearance of a runway. Arrived at 3.50 at Heathrow to discover no check-in till five o'clock, so sat around in a semi-conscious state till the desks opened. Through security... Most of the shops were still closed, so I hung around till 5.30 in the hope of buying some new lenses for my Oakley gas cans, which are once again scratched. They finally pulled up the shutters at 5.30 to tell me that they don't do replacement lenses anymore, even though I'd bought the last ones here. By now it was getting tight for boarding, so I legged it to the shuttle train. 
By the time I made the gate, the flight to Madrid was already boarding. We took off only a little late and made it to Madrid by nine o'clock local time. We now had three hours to kill before we'd even get a gate. Hung around in the cafe, eating very nice ham and cheese rolls and coffee. No Oakley lenses in the duty-free here either. Marvelled at the scrum at the gate for the Iberia flight to Caracas. Evidently, there's no queue culture in Venezuela. Long, long, long way to go for a gig. Watched The Promise, a TV series about two girls going to Israel to stay with a wealthy Israeli family and getting drawn into the conflict with Palestinian Gazans. Pretty harrowing stuff. In Caracas, we were met off the plane by the man, who took us all through passport control while everybody else queued. However, the first carousel, which was announced for our bags, broke. Went across the hall to another and waited and waited and waited. Eventually, bags came, but no instruments or gear. Marcus announced that the remainder of the gear was at the other side of the hall. Went there. No sign of it. Waited another 15 minutes before the man produced a trolley from a side room. It had been there all along. Great, let's go. No. The man told us to wait. Asked Frenchie and me how much is all the gear worth, as we must pay tax on it. Waited another half hour before being allowed out, money having changed hands. Venezuela is basically dodgy. When we were at last allowed into arrivals, a TV camera and crew were all ready to interview us for, I assume, the news. I was excitedly quizzed by a young kid with indecipherable English, asking, What do I think about the gears? Which turned out to mean girls. I told him the gears were very nice, but that I was married, so wouldn't be requiring any in my room. He looked disappointed. Bundled into a Toyota third world minibus, like something from the 60s, and given much needed beer. The journey into town took 90 minutes past swathes of fairy-lit shanties, impossibly crammed onto steep hillsides. Looked like Port Talbot Refinery. Into the heavy traffic of Caracas, 6.30pm but already dark. Arrived at the Gran Melia Hotel. We had already been given room keys in the minibus. The hotel was all marble and gold five-star decayed splendour. Nice hotel room but characterful. The AC was very loud and there was no way to quieten it without turning it off. Some problem in the cistern of my loo meant that it never stopped filling and constantly trickled water into the pan. I never worked out how to turn all the lights on. The TV burst into loud life at 4am in the morning for the first two nights. Well, having checked in, I went down to the lobby bar where a disinterested barman called Jesus charged us £5 for a beer and £25 for tempura of six prawns. Nice, though. Had two lots for 50 quid. Holy cow. Not cheap here, then. Went to bed at nine o'clock to the sound of the cistern refilling. Wednesday, 11th of April. Caracas. Woke to the sound of the cistern filling and a text from Lynetta saying she was going to Buckingham to have Vibe's feet measured. Went down to breakfast and ordered an omelette from the omelette man in the restaurant. Sat with Ian and Phil, who claimed to have been there since 7am. I was tempted to sit by the pool, but remembered the sunburning incident in Brazil through heavy cloud and decided to go back to my room. My Moby rang and it was Lynetta saying she'd had her handbag stolen in Buckingham. With it went her phone, purse, money credit cards, house keys, car keys. There was even a prescription in the bag with her name and, crucially, address on it. Nightmare. 
we'll have to change the locks on the car and the house. And of course, I'm in Venezuela. Very frustrating not to be able to help her. Today, we are guests of honour at a rock and roll school across town. Took the goat bus to the rock school, which is situated in the hills overlooking Caracas. It took well over an hour to get there and brought back all the memories of time spent in the past in Brazil in goat buses, nudging over potholes at dead of night, exhausted after gigs. We entered the rock school via a service elevator from a car park. Very man from uncle. Hot rooms, lots of media presence, and then off to join Mark K in keyboard masterclass in a little room full of students. He played a bit of Neverland, and I sang. Very X-Factor. I was asked lots of questions by the music students and their teachers about singing technique, and concluded that I should warm up, but don't. We signed loads of autographs to pupils and teachers, and had our pics taken with them all. A good experience all round. Returned to the hotel for an hour before meeting up with promoter Barry and assistants Colin, American tech, and Moses, Venezuelan interpreter and fixer. Went across town to a meat restaurant and ate meat and ordered rum and coke. There was nowhere to put the coke in the tall glass of rum which arrived, so worked my way down the rum, adding coke where possible. Left the restaurant somewhat cross-eyed and returned to bed. I suppose there would have been a time when we'd have been hustling to go out to a club or two, but nobody was really bothered, least of all me. The system was beckoning. And we're back. And it's not Wednesday. Oh, it is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. It's still Wednesday. (laughs) Actually, we could have done that. We could have come back on Thursday for this bit. <laughs> so all going wrong. All going wrong. It's all, um, it's all lovely. That's the first two days of Caracas. And, and, and the thing I've got to ask, before I get to the hotel, right, because mm-hmm. the hotel sounds pretty special, why Caracas? How did that gig come about? Well... I think it was originally. I think we've we've got an agent somewhere. It might have been our American agent. And he phoned up and he said, "Um, I can't remember which way round this was. Seems a strange thing for him to say. (laughs) He said, "Um, what was he called, Hugo Chavez? Was he Hugo? Or was that well, I don't know. I haven't seen the name, I don't think. He was called it. Chavez, anyway, the, the president of uh, Venezuela, the one that was really, really left-wing, um, upset the Americans and cracked. It was like a Venezuelan version of Liz Truss. Crashed the economy, and... Um, but he crashed it in order to help the poor, whereas Liz crashed crashed it in order to help the rich. Help the rich <laughs> in, in the UK. But um, he cra- he kind of over a period of time, basically, I don't know whether deliberately or I mean, probably with good intentions, but messed up Venezuela. And now it's in a right old state in 2024. But I think we were there on the cusp of it of it starting to be in a bit of a state. And um, it was his birthday. Was it Hugo? I think he was Hugo Chavez. Um, it was his birthday and um, we got this strange, you know, phone call or email, Lucy did, from our agent saying... Um, as part of Hugo Chavez's birthday celebrations, he'd like you to come and play in Caracas. Do you fancy it? And it was quite a lot of money, but an awful long way to go for one show. And um, so we said, yeah, what the hell? And um, off we went. And um, that was that was how come that was how come we went to venezuela at all but what was really strange was when we got there 
nobody seemed to have any notion at all of it being about Chavez's birthday. It was part of a golf tournament. <laughs> it was something to do with some <laughs> golf tournament that was happening. And that kind of sums up, it sums up South America to some extent, but it certainly sums up Venezuela where, you know, the, 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 there's, there's the truth, then there's what happens, and then there's what you get told. And those three never meet at any point in time. And you get there and learn that what you've been told has nothing to do with the truth and that the the, the truth has nothing to do with what then happens. Um, so, yeah, it's an education going to Caracas. I mean, you get you, uh, you get there, as I said in the diary, you, you, you arrive and then they, you go and see a man who asks you for a ton of money just to take your equipment off the conveyor belt. And go, oh, you've oh you've got stuff. You go, well, yeah. Um, and they go, oh, oh, well, you'll have to give me an enormous sum of money, or we'll just keep that. And and it carries on like that. And and whilst you're trying to negotiate, because all these things are negotiable, they sort of start with thirty thousand dollars, and they slowly come down to fifteen hundred. Uh, over a period of hours when they realise you're not going to give it to them. And while all that's happening, there's a TV crew in Arrivals, which you can see through the open door, uh, jumping up and down with excitement and waiting to interview you. <laughs> so you got you got all this excitement that you're there, but you've also got other blokes going, oh, you better give me a very large amount of money or we're not allowing you in. So that's Venezuela. Mm. I um, I loved the description of the. By the way, before I go on, actually, a golf tournament because you don't you don't seem to me as the. I mean, if I ask most middle aged golfers who they're into, mm. I'm not sure Marillion would be top of the list. No, but you've got to bear in mind that none of that will have been true anyway. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that's fine then. You know, there was nothing that happened during that point. You know, that whole period. Apart from having a nice, a really nice chat out front at the gig with with the fans, who were absolutely delightful, and you got the feeling that what they were telling you was was all real. Uh, apart from the chat with the fans, nothing else was real was or true, tr- or true right, okay. no, no, none of it. Well, that's good because I was I was minded to go and canvas a few Pringle wearers today, but I, I'm not <laughs> going to do that now. Well, that thought entered my head at the time. I thought, golf? And then I thought, hang on a minute, you've got to remember where you are. This is all bollocks. Yeah. You know, there's another reason why we're here, um, and it's it's neither golf nor Mr. Chavez's birthday. It's it's another reason. Yeah. Um, somebody's obviously booked someone who's failed to turn up and they've panicked and gone, can you think of anyone else? Who might go? Phone Larry in America and they've gone, Larry, have you got anybody at all dumb enough to drop everything and fly to Venezuela next Wednesday? And he's gone, I think I might have the very band. <laughs> we don't care if they're good. We do care if they're available. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> oh well they got a double whammy with you then i mean they got, they got good and available yes offer them enough money to make them come in but don't tell them that when they get yeah. here you're going to charge them a fortune to actually arrive in the country yeah we'll take it off them at the airport but offer it them anyway <laughs> that's more or less how it works maybe maybe the money that was taken off us at the airport went to the guy who then paid us the fee gave, gave you back <laughs> what, what after he'd stolen most of our back line as well just before the gig yeah it was like that oh he probably looked at Rother's back line and wondered if it still worked <laughs> um the the hotel sounds fairly special the assistant the of s- itself is worthy of an episode. <laughs> the assistant that never stopped filling. I lost my passport as well. I don't think I even mentioned that in the diary. You did, you did. Well, I haven't, I haven't read it so far. But well, basically, by the time we did eventually check out, I realised that my passport had gone. Uh, so I had, a comp- I had another complete epi. 
and uh, I eventually found it. I'd put it somewhere safe, and I hadn't lost it at all, but I, there was frantic phone calls to Frenchie and all of that, uh, who, you know, no doubt by then had, had his head in both hands while I went, you know, while I went, guess what? I think I've lost my passport. <laughs> while Frenchie tried to envision... Um, you're toddling off to the British Embassy with me to try and get another one, which would does have he been... ever? You know, when you ring him, does he ever? Does he ever not pick up, but then ring you a couple of minutes later? So he looks at his phone and goes, "I just need a moment. I just need a drink." And yeah, then rings and you then back. I call him. <laughs> He's pretty good, to be fair. I mean, he usually just answers the just phone, picks up every time, braces himself. Mm. It's probably better just to get to it as fast as possible. Yeah, because you know hell might freeze over, and it I, I might just be asking for the you know something pleasant. <laughs> Has that ever happened? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, not, good, not, good. Not often, not often to be fair. Occasionally, mm. bit of a Russian roulette then when your name <laughs> appears on Frenchie's phone. <laughs> it is, yeah. He just spins yeah. the barrel. Yeah, <laughs> he may get that one empty chamber. <laughs> You're like a, a reverse Russian roulette, aren't you? Five filled chambers and one empty. That's it. Um, the the thing sounded interesting. The the student thing you did at the college or wherever it was. Uh, yeah, uh, that sounded really nice, actually. Well, it was mad. Yeah, maybe that's why we were there. Do you know what I mean? It, that could have been the reason. Could have been it that we went. That, that you don't. That, it's kind of weird, you know, you go there for someone's birthday, then you get there and realise you're part of a golf tournament. And then somebody says, but you have to go to this college. And you go, okay, you, there's a load of students jumping up and down. And uh, somebody's arranged a keyboard master class. <laughs> you just think, what the fuck? <laughs> Let, let's just go with it. <clears throat> so you get stuck in. It was quite. It was quite nice. I mean, my my main memory of it was the interminable drive and the goat bus to get to it, mm. and then the interminable drive back. Because Caracas traffic is just on another level of of horror. Um, you know, on the road to Potthold and. We'd got this goat bus. I call it the goat bus because it was the kind of bus that you you know you'd expect there to be a goat wandering about in, right? Um, as well as the passengers. I'd picked up on that. Mm. I didn't think it. I didn't think you thought it was the greatest of all time. No, it had little curtains made out of um, you know that looked like. I mean, it was really rough. <laughs> It had, they had little sort of curtains that looked like they'd been handmade out of very cheap cotton, um, you know, on all the windows that were suspended from those. Um, do you remember wires? Those? Yeah, you know those. Old you cur- used to put two pins and, and stretch them. The si- yeah, in the sixties. Yeah, yeah, those kind of. It's like, it was like a washing line, wasn't it? Yeah, and then when you tried to open or close the curtains, they just snagged. And you had yeah. to sort of reach up and r- ruffle them along slowly. <laughs> I always, in those scenarios, it was always a case then as well that you couldn't see through the window anyway, so the, the curtains became immaterial. Mm. Well, it, the windows were so filthy. Well, the windows in the goat bus you could see through, and you could you could see you know people. That's a song. That's a nursery rhyme. The windows on the goat, goat bus. bus. <laughs> Open and close. Yeah, you could watch people fornicating from the motorway. Right. Right. Which, um, is, again, let, was unique. Let's go, and have, let's go and have the last bit. We're <laughs> going to sign off now for this week. You're, you're going to take it home. You're going you're gonna to take it home. Phone it in from, from, from Denmark with the last section of diary, aren't you? I am. And I'm I think we should probably apologise because we've got no idea if this is going to turn into anything this week, have we, really? We've got a few bits of audio. <laughs> I'm confident it'll turn into something, Anthony. Right. Absolutely. I'm going with your confidence. Mm, At the same time, I'm dialing Frenchie. (laughs) To ask him what to do in this scenario. Oh, he's busy packing. He's busy. uh, I think he's busy. I think it's a busy time at Racket. You won't get any sense out of him. No. No. Well, no, because it's it's the next next show will be coming up. This is true. Yeah, yeah, I've got that. That what, what, that's next Thursday, I think. We we'll leave here. All right, and drive and 
She's going to drop me somewhere in the south of Holland. Yes. Side of the road. And uh, I'm going to make my way to Harlem. In fact, we ought to before we go. We ought to put that out. If you if you go into the if you go into the the gig mm. uh, and you and you're coming in the same general direction that H is coming, just do look out for him. Yeah, if you do live in the south of Holland, then and you see a forlorn figure with with a bag looking sweaty, um, it might well be me. So um, give us a lift to the station at least. Mm. Yeah, pack an extra. An extra Mars bar and something just in case. I always do. Mm. Right. Go on, then. You can take it home with this last bit of... With with your climax in Caracas. (laughs) Here it comes. Thursday. 12th of April, Caracas, La Terrazza del CCCT. Managed to Skype Lynetta about changing locks, but it all got complicated. It's hard to change a lock from the other side of the world. Niall was in London, still trying to make the US work permit people happy. He failed, so now I can't take him to America. Left the hotel at 10.15am for sound check. Had a feeling it might be complicated, and it turned out to be just that. The CP300 promised had become a Yamaha X8 yesterday, which I have no idea how to use. I only want a USB output from it, as I'm going to use my laptop to make the sounds via a program called Mainstage. Decided against freighting the Kurzweil, as someone would be bound to drop it or lose it. Spent all morning waiting for the stage crew to provide mains power across the front of stage. When they did, some bright spark promptly plugged the hired X8, from America, therefore 110 volts, into 240 volts and blew the fuses. That was the end of that. But we eventually found another weighted keyboard and, after much head-scratching between Key Rody Craig and Steve Rothery, who reads about these things, thank you Steve, they got the thing out putting USB and I got main stage working. While they were trying to get all that together, I went nature watching. A small moth fluttered around at the rear of the stage and glinted iridescent blue as it did so. I followed it around as it flitted from flight case to flight case to black drapes and when it eventually settled, I could see it had vivid red and black wings which complemented its shining turquoise body perfectly. Ah, we don't get those in England. Soundcheck slowly came together, and we were all done by 4pm. Five hours, not bad. Returned wearily to the hotel with the laptop. I didn't want to leave it on stage in my absence. Skyped home again. Turns out Elle's bag has been stolen by some old dear with a child. Who can you trust? The opening act was really good. Venezuelan Celtic. Go figure. Gave Craig my laptop to plug back in and returned to the dressing room to get ready for the 9pm show. Snuck out front without the security men and said hi to a few of the people. Really nice bunch. Put me in the mood. However... Just before showtime, the word came backstage that my laptop was gone. Craig had left it on the keyboard rig on stage and someone had helped themselves to it. The stage and backstage area are completely surrounded by security men with guns, so if I was a gambling man, I'd bet on one of them having taken it to subsidise his wages. Venezuela is dodgy. Oh well, there goes my lyrics, diaries, photographs, music, accounts, life, etc. I hit the tequila to get my attitude together before hitting the stage. Frantic rewriting of the set list occurred in order to compensate for me now having no keyboards. I actually sang well, against the odds, and could hear that the out front sound was great. The band sounded fantastic. 
Well done all. Barry G came back afterwards to say he'd loved the gig and not to worry, he'd replaced the laptop. I warned him it wouldn't be cheap, but he didn't seem phased. Back at the hotel, reception was swarming with soldiers in red berets and comic red laces in their black boots. Not that I left. Apparently, the President of Ecuador is staying at the hotel, but I have come to doubt all things official. Who knows? The truth these days represents a security breach, so no one gets it. Apparently, the soldiers had closed the bar, so a last drink wasn't an option. I was fried anyway, so went to bed and lay awake most of the night, contemplating the implications of anyone uploading my lyrics, diaries, personal photographs, etc. to the internet. I've just got to pray they reformat the drive and sell it on. The following morning I went down to breakfast and put the word out to the promoter's people that I'd be happy to buy the laptop back. Despite the flight home leaving at 6pm tonight, we're supposed to leave the hotel at 12.30 as the traffic and check-in will combine to use up four hours. Spent my last free hour in Venezuela on a sun lounger under a canopy by the pool. Poolside was pretty much deserted and I wasn't in the sun. In fact, it came on to rain quite heavily but it was nice to have a bit of peace and space without the sound of the toilet system filling or crap TV blaring away in Spanish. Met up at 12.30. Frenchie paid my extras, being as my credit cards were all now blocked, both Lynetta and I having suffered thefts on opposite sides of the world. We filed out under the watchful eyes of the soldiers with the red laces and back onto the goat bus. They were right about the traffic. Forty minutes into the journey, we passed the rear of the hotel that we'd left. It had taken that long to get round the block. We drove along one side of what looked like either a huge drain or a river. I still don't know. Every now and then it was possible to see between the trees and bushes down into the drain river, which swirled in torrents and seemingly was flowing uphill. At one point... I saw two people having sex alongside the main drain in between the two carriageways of road. Missionary position, a naked bottom going up and down between two splayed legs. Well, it's natural. You just don't normally see it happening from the motorway. Back towards the airport in the torrential rain, surrounded by steep sugarloaf-shaped green hills of rainforest, occasionally clustered with tin shacks with barred windows. Baby strollers and washing lines reminding me how lucky I am to live where I live, how I live, and how easy my life is, despite the week of being burgled. The long journey back to England was to be more luxurious than the journey out. The band had upgraded to business class. We boarded the plane and I made ready to recline my big seat to horizontal so that I could sleep. I was tired after last night's show and the sleepless night of worry that followed. True to form, my seat refused to recline and appeared to be broken. A maintenance man appeared and began ripping off the upholstery and yanking around at the mechanism, pulling out crumpled sheets of paper, magazines and rubbish from the complex machinery inside. No use, it couldn't be fixed and business was full so I didn't have the option of moving to another seat. I was beginning to allow myself a why me moment. Sometimes you just enter a vortex for a while. There was only one thing to do. I pulled rank and swapped with tour manager Frenchie, who, during the flight, managed to recline the thing anyway. Maybe it is me. Bad vortex. So I didn't feel quite so bad. The business class experience is a whole other level to economy and we basically were spoilt rotten by the cabin crew. We ate a fine dinner and then I stretched out and went to sleep. Woke for breakfast and hot towels and landed an hour late in Madrid, which made the connection for London pretty tight. We'd left Caracas an hour late, probably because of my seat maintenance, and had failed to make up the time. 
hurried across Richard Rogers' amazing wavy wooden roofed airport to our London bound flight, which was already boarding. Soon we were back in Terminal 5, where I discovered I had lost my baggage tags. Normally I wouldn't have noticed, but, of course, our bags never turned up on the carousel. So after an hour's wait, we headed to baggage services to report the loss. The reps there were really helpful and said not to worry. The tight connection had probably scuppered us, and the bags would come on the next flight and be delivered to the studio. Oh well. Much to my relief... When we did eventually make it out into arrivals, a driver was waiting to take me home. Spent the journey chatting to the Pakistani driver, who was the son of the chap who had picked me up at 3am the other morning, and listening to the FA Cup semi-final between Liverpool versus Everton. Our producer, Mike Hunter, lives for Everton FC, so I felt for him when Liverpool stole the game at the last minute. Back home the sun was shining on the village green and I felt like I was back a universe away from dodgy Venezuela and the tin-roofed shanties of Caracas. Lucky, lucky, lucky. A ghost of a mist was on the field the grey and the green together. The noise of a distant farm machine out of the first light came. A tattered necklace of hedge and trees on the southern side of the hill betrays where the border runs between, where Mary Denoon's boy fell. Easter, here again, a time for the blind to see. Easter, surely now can all of your hearts be free. Out of the port of Liverpool, bound for the north of Ireland, the wash of the spray and horsetail waves, the roll of the sea below. And Easter, here again, a time for the blind to see. Easter. Surely now can all of your hearts be free. What will you do? Make a stone of your heart? Will you set things right when you tear them apart? Will you sleep at night with the plough and the stars alight? What will you do with the wire and the gun that'll set things right when it's said and done? Will you sleep at night? Is there so much love to hide? Forgive, forget, sing, never again. Rest in peace, my lovely friend, Miles Brooke.